The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Serving spiritual seekers around the world. Unity Online Radio. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with host Victoria Moran. Victoria is an author, inspirational speaker, and a certified holistic health counselor and vegan lifestyle coach. She's here to entertain, educate, and inspire you on your journey to look and feel amazing, eat extraordinary food, help animals, and create a physical body perfectly attuned to spiritual growth. Now, let's get this party started. Here is your host, Victoria Moran. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Main Street Vegan Show. So happy to have you with me on what, for me, is a lovely Wednesday afternoon in New York City, wherever you are, whenever it is. I'm so happy that you're choosing to spend this hour with me. We're going to have a fascinating show today. I want this year to look more into the various religions of the world and their connection to vegetarianism and veganism. So today we're going to be talking with Dr. Richard Schwartz about vegetarianism, veganism, and Judaism. Now, Dr. Schwartz is a PhD, and you can tell that he's a scholar because he sent me so many questions that I wish I could ask all of them, but I will try to pick out the absolutely most fascinating ones. And if you have one and you're listening in live on this Wednesday afternoon, give us a call, 888-558-6489, and join the conversation. I just met an old friend. Not somebody that I used to hang out with, but a recipe that I thought I lost back in the 1980s. Have you ever lost a recipe? You have a kind of sort of grief about it when you've really, really liked a recipe and then you just can't make it anymore. And I can remember living in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. My daughter was about three years old and we got this amazing cookie recipe that had no sugar in it and no oil and no animal products. And guess what? It was actually good. 
But somehow, lots of moves, lots of years, I lost the recipe. And guess where I got it back? Perez Hilton. Seriously, Perez Hilton evidently posted this on his blog sometime back. It has had over a million hits on Facebook. That's what can happen if you're Perez Hilton and you have a sugar-free cookie recipe. And anyway, I am so excited about this reunion with these cookies that I'm just going to tell you how to make them because it's really, really easy. Okay, here you go. Got a pen? All right. If not, I will post it. Let's see. Where will I post it? I will post it on my Facebook page, Victoria Moran Author. Okay. Here's what you do. Applesauce, one half cup, three medium bananas, and use the ripe ones. You know when you work with bananas, they really ought to have brown spots on them because that's when the starch, which is really hard to digest in the case of bananas, turns into sugar so that your body can use it. Plus, they taste a whole lot better. Then a quarter ounce, that's not very much, that's just a few drops or a tablespoon or something of plain unsweetened almond milk, but you could use any kind of milk. Back in the 1980s, we didn't have an, even have almond milk unless we made it in a blender. Two cups of uncooked old-fashioned oats. And you know what? I don't think they have to be old-fashioned. I think they can be any old kind of oats you've got around in the box from Quaker or Bob's Red Mill or whoever makes your oats. One half cup of dried cranberries. That'll make them pretty. Although I do believe in the old days we used raisins. I know we used raisins because my daughter didn't like raisins and she would pick them out. One teaspoon vanilla extract and one teaspoon ground cinnamon. And what you do with all that is mix it together, make cookies. Bake at 350 for 15 to 20 minutes. And I am absolutely serious that these taste like real cookies. They're kind of magical and wonderful. Magic always appeals to me. So thanks, Mr. Hilton, for uh, reconciling this cookie recipe in me. I thought we were going to be estranged forever. Well, last week... I was busy with Main Street Vegan Academy. If you were listening last week, you heard the show that we did here live with uh, our wonderful guest, uh, Gary Gibson, who's a personal trainer and talking about the energy of food. Oh my gosh, the Academy is fun. Kind of exhausting because we have classes all day long with all kinds of amazing teachers. And then we run all over New York City to these incredible vegan businesses. But it is just such a wonderful, wonderful thing to meet with my beautiful students from all around the world and then send them out there to spread the vegan message in their various ways. And I've got to tell you how one of last week's students found out about the Academy. Now, most of the time it's word of mouth or they listen to this podcast or they found my book. This woman, lovely young woman in the Air Force in upstate New York, was watching a cult classic movie that you may know about called Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. It had Jesse Eisenberg in it. Remember Jesse Eisenberg from the Facebook movie? Well, Jesse Eisenberg was brought up vegan. His parents are vegan. They're great supporters of Farm Sanctuary. And he made this movie when he was really 
kind of a, a kid, an adolescent, anyway. So it's sort of a cult classic that teenage boys like. Anyway, in one scene, someone says to this character, and this movie is like video game come to life, so the characters are sort of uh, unworldly. Anyway, like he says, you know how you only use 90% of your brain? Well, that's because the other 10% is full of curds and whey from drinking milk. And then someone says, well, how do vegans get these superpowers? And the answer is, they go to the vegan academy. Well, my student heard this and she thought, oh gosh, I wonder if there's a vegan academy. And she Googled and she found Main Street Vegan Academy. Isn't that cool? So my husband, always looking out for me, he was out in Kansas City visiting his mom while I did the Academy. He found the clips, the Scott Pilgrim vegan clips on YouTube and sent them. So we were able to show them uh, to the group during the the Vegan Academy. So we showed the Vegan Academy clip. And then we also showed uh, another clip that was when somebody drank half and half inadvertently and the vegan police showed up. And here is a great line from this movie. And this is why it's a cult movie. That line is, you were a vegan and now you will be gone. Anyway, watch the clips and then you'll know that they're funny. We do have fun. We eat veggies and we have fun. Oh my, speaking of veggies, did you hear that 54% of the grocery items sold at Walmart are banned by Whole Foods. Now, I would have to do more research to find out some of the exact reasons for this. I know that Whole Foods, for example, doesn't sell anything with trans fats in it. I'm not sure what other sorts of standards Whole Foods has that Walmart doesn't, but I think it's really, really important that we remember that it's important to help people learn how to take care of their health and to help them shop with discernment. And, you know, we all shop where we have to shop. We shop where it's close and where we can afford and what just is possible. And so it's very, very important to read those labels when you're buying something packaged and processed. And most of the time, not to buy anything packaged and processed at all, right? I think so. So I want to let you know really quickly, I just redid the calendar on my website. I think that doing things to your website is a little bit like straightening up and cleaning your house and clearing out your closets. It just makes everything feel fresh and new and kind of nice. And the calendar over there at MainStreetVegan.net was just hard to follow and, and hard for me to post on. So now it's nice and simple. And one of the things that I have is a list of the upcoming shows that I am doing uh, here at Unity Online Radio. You can certainly see all the past shows on the Unity Online Radio site and on iTunes, but the ones that are coming up, I'm giving you a list of, and since you're listening now, I'll just tell you what's coming up. On March the 5th, we have Veganism and Spirituality with the Unity Minister, Reverend Brendalyn Batchelor from out there in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and a Unitarian Minister, Dr. Russell Elevin, 
who's in Chicago. He's actually a Main Street Vegan certified vegan lifestyle coach and educator, as well as many other things. Then on March the 12th, we're having the author of Healthy Living, Healthy World, James Hicks. It's a terrific book. And guess what James Hicks did? He turned James Cameron, the Titanic director, vegan. Is that cool? I mean, it's cool to turn anybody vegan. But, you know, when you turn somebody vegan who has a whole bunch of Academy Awards, gosh, that's impressive. And speaking of impressive, on March 19th, we'll have Dr. Joel Furman. Yay! Don't you love Dr. Furman? Dr. Furman, the Nutritarian. What a great guy. And he will be joining us on the 19th of March, just before the calendar turns to spring. But today we have Judaism and Vegetarianism with Dr. Richard Schwartz coming up right after this. Stay with us. Online Radio has helped you grow spiritually through programs like this one, please consider supporting this online radio programming. Visit www.unity.fm and click on Donate Now. Thank you for helping us continue to serve as the voice of an awakening world. What if you could experience vibrant health, help heal the planet, and be a great friend to God's animal kingdom through simple choices you make at breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Authors Victoria and Adair Moran say you can do this easily, affordably, and deliciously in their new book, Main Street Vegan. Everything you need to know to eat healthfully and live compassionately in a real world. Loaded with practical tips, straightforward information, and fabulous recipes, Main Street Vegan will help you on your journey toward a plant-based diet. The perks include more energy, an easy way to keep your weight where you want it, feeling younger as you grow older, and maybe even a boost to your spiritual life. Purchase Main Street Vegan from BN.com, Amazon.com, or your favorite bookseller. The world is full of voices, advertising, television, politics, colleagues, family, and friends. All are too happy to tell us how to live. In all of that noise, it's easy to miss the one voice that matters, your own soul. What would happen if you could hear that voice? Imagine the clarity, confidence, and courage that would be yours and the life you could create. 
Join Janet Connor, best selling author of Writing Down Your Soul, The Lotus and the Lily, and Your Soul Wants Five Things, as she and her guests explore how to hear the call of the soul and create the soul directed life. Live Thursday at 1 p.m. Central, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Go inside to find my God. You're listening to Main Street Vegan with Victoria Moran. If you have questions or comments about today's topic or any other area of interest, we invite you to follow Victoria underscore Moran on Twitter or email her at MainStreetVegan at UnityOnlineRadio.org. Now, back to Main Street Vegan. Welcome back. Thanks so much for being with us today. It is now my distinct pleasure to bring on our special guest, Richard H. Swartz, Ph.D. He's the author of Judaism and Vegetarianism, of Judaism and Global Survival, of Who Stole My Religion? Revitalizing Judaism and Applying Jewish Values to Help Heal Our Impaired Planet, and Mathematics and Global Survival. Did I mention that he's smart? He's also written over 200 articles and done 25 podcasts at jewishveg.com slash swartz. He's the Professor Emeritus of Jewish Vegetarians of North America, President Emeritus, I'm sorry, of Jewish Vegetarians of North America. He's also a professor for many years and also past president of the Society of Ethical and Religious Vegetarians. He's associate producer of the 2007 documentary, A Sacred Duty, Applying Jewish Values to Help Heal the World. His latest project involves working to restore and transform the ancient Jewish holiday, New Year for Animals. Animals, woo, to increase awareness of Jewish teachings on compassion for animals. Welcome, Dr. Schwartz. Thank you. Thank you very much for that very kind introduction. And I just want to say I've been a fan of yours for many years, going way back to your book about compassion being the ultimate ethic. And uh, I commend you for the great work you've been doing for so many years and, of course, wish you much continued success. Oh, thank you. Well, that goes both ways. I've heard you speak so many times, particularly at Vegetarian Summerfest, coming up again um, this June. And every time I hear you, there is just so much depth, and I learn so much, and I'm really excited about sharing some of that with our listeners today. So first, let's just get more of a personal introduction about you. What caused you to go vegetarian? Okay, actually, I was teaching a math course at the College of Staten Island for liberal arts and science students, poorly motivated, poorly prepared, and after a while, I got this idea, and I came up with a course called Mathematics and the Environment, and basic math, but every problem is related to an environmental issue, to population growth, you know, we had uh, population uh, models and things like that, and after a while, we got into nutrition aspects, but one year, we covered world hunger, and I thought at first, well, gee, it's so unfortunate. 20 million people are dying of hunger every year. Just too many people. But then I read this wonderful book, I'm sure you're familiar with, by Francis Moore Pay called Diet for a Small Planet, indicating how tremendously wasteful animal-based diets are, with now almost a billion of the world's people chronically hungry, really uh, incredible in such a 
shameful thing. We're feeding, just in the U.S., 70% of the grain produced here in the U.S. fed to animals destined for slaughter. So that got me uh, discussing that. And after telling the students, you know, people ate less meat, there'd be less hunger, I finally uh, took that advice, gave up red meat, later on uh, other animal products. So that was the uh, beginning. And later on, I got into other issues, of course, the health and uh, how animals are so cruelly mistreated. And and I wanted to write a book, and since there were so many great books out there already, I decided to try to tie it in, and that's when, in 1982, the first edition of Judaism and Vegetarianism came out. Well, it's really important to me to look at these connections between the various religions of the world and living compassionately, taking care of our bodies. This show comes from Unity, which is a, a Christian connected uh, denomination founded by vegetarians. And I just think there's so much in the history of vegetarianism that that is, is biblical or that comes from the yogic traditions of India, and that there are lots of connections that people need to know about in their own religion and in the other religions of the world. So you are very adamant that animal-based diets seriously violate Jewish teachings and those of other religions. And that's a quote from you. That's a pretty strong statement. How, how does eating meat cause you to not be a good Jew or whatever else you are? Right. Well, what I try to point out is that there are six fundamental teachings, values, even mandates that point to vegetarianism in Judaism and actually in every religion. Every religion is based on compassion and working for a more just, peaceful world, for example. So I'll just mention these six uh, important teachings now, and I'd be happy to go into more detail. But uh, these are, number one, to take care of our health, two, to treat animals with compassion, Three, to be co-workers with God in protecting the environment. Four, to conserve natural resources, you know, not to waste land and water and energy. Five, to help hungry people. And six, to seek and pursue peace. And these are all very basic to Judaism and other religions. And uh, it's really amazing. I've been trying to start dialogues with rabbis and others on should Jews be vegetarians, should other religious people be vegetarians. And unfortunately, the religious community has, for the most part, uh, been in denial on these. So we glad to be able to get this message out again to your wonderful audience. And, and we're happy to have it. So let's go back to basics. I was telling you during the break that I was trying to take over for the illuminous late Rin Berry and, and teach the vegetarian history class last week from Main Street Vegan Academy, and there's so much to it. It's quite an undertaking. But I did start with Genesis because a lot of be- people believe that's the literal beginning, and I think everybody believes that the Bible has had such influence on certainly the Western world and probably the whole world. So let's just start with that. Is there a biblical basis for vegetarianism? Well, absolutely. Right there in the very first chapter, it's chapter 1, verse 29, where God indicates uh, a diet should be the herbs and the fruit from the trees, etc. No meat at all, completely vegan, actually a raw food diet. It's Genesis chapter 1, verse 29. And two verses later, God looks at the entire creation and says, in Hebrew, it's tov ma'ol, meaning very good. So 
this was God's intention, and all the Jewish scholars and commentators all agree that the initial diet in the Garden of Eden was vegetarian. And of course, that is consistent with what modern science is finding, that human being, of course, is very, very far from the carnivorous animal, much closer to herbivorous animals in terms of our hands, our teeth. Our intestinal system is four times longer per unit height than that of a carnivorous animal. So the meat's in our system quite a while, and that's why there's so many digestive problems. And our stomach acids are only one-twentieth as strong as that of carnivorous animals. So there's many, many differences. So whether you look at the first chapter of Genesis or what modern science is finding, we would definitely uh, create it more for a vegan diet. Well, I'm going to play devil's advocate here because somebody could also say, well, isn't it also really early there in the Bible that humans are given dominion over animals and nature? Absolutely. Well, that dominion is interpreted by the scholars as respectful, um, you call it uh, stewardship. Okay, that, uh, and the very fact that we have the vegetarian diet right after we're given dominion, and then in chapter 2, verse 15, it says the human being was put in the Garden of Eden to work the land, but also to guard it. So we are to be really co-workers with God and to be guardians of the earth. So uh, we certainly weren't given a blank check to do whatever we want. You know, I use the analogy, it's like if somebody has nice big house and a wonderful garden, they don't have time to take care of that garden, or they don't have the knowledge, and they hire a gardener, they're in effect giving that gardener dominion, but of course they expect that gardener to prune the trees when they should be, and uh, fertilize, and whatever has to be done, but certainly not to be destructive. So that dominion uh, can be looked at as a positive thing in terms of... uh, we should be uh, respectful stewards of the earth and not to be destructive. But unfortunately, that verse has been very much uh, misinterpreted. And that's one of the big problems. I love the analogy about the gardener. That That's mm. perfect. Mm. I'm going to borrow that, Richard. So if Jews are supposed to be vegetarians, if all the people of the mm-hmm. book are intended to be vegetarian, then where did things come from, like the the laws of Jewish ritual slaughter? Right. Well, actually, uh, later on, after the flood in the times of Noah, permission was given to eat meat. God would prefer we be vegetarians, but uh, sometimes there are concessions with the hope that people will eventually get back to the vegetarian diet. As a matter of fact, some feel that you know, when the Israelites left Egypt, they were in the desert for 40 years, and they were nourished by manna, which in the Bible it says it's like coriander seed. So that some feel that was a second vegetarian attempt, and uh, later on permission was given to eat meat, and there were these sacrifices, but that was a common mode of worship at the time. According to the great uh, Jewish philosopher Maimonides, he, he said that uh, it was a concession to the times. That was the way everybody worshipped, and there was a feeling if they didn't have the sacrifices, the Israelites may have rejected that and all of the religion, but the sacrifices were kept in one central location, and, uh, of course, child sacrifice, any human sacrifice was eliminated We're in one central location with the hope that the Israelites would be weaned off of that. 
And of course, the biblical prophets constantly indicated that God's main concern was certainly not sacrifices, but that people should act with mercy and compassion and justly. And as a matter of fact, Prophet Isaiah indicated that the sacrifices could be an abomination to God if not carried out along with acts of justness and kindness, etc. I love the idea that certain things are allowed for certain times. And we're now right. living in a time when it seems absolutely critical for mm-hmm. thinking people to seriously look at changing their diets. Would you agree with that? I agree. Uh, <laughs> I can agree 200% or 1,000%. I certainly agree with that because, unfortunately, animal-based diets and agriculture are really threatening the entire world. You know, climate change is really a tremendous threat. We may be approaching, unfortunately, according to the experts, a climate catastrophe. And this is the view of science academies all over the world, and at least 97% of the science uh, or climate experts. And uh, some recent studies have shown, amazingly, like a UN Food and Agriculture Organization study called Livestock's Long Shadow indicated something really amazing that animal agriculture actually emits more greenhouse gases and carbon dioxide equivalents than all the cars, planes, trucks, ships, all the means of transportation worldwide combined. And when you think of how many cars are out there and all the traffic jams and planes taking off somewhere every minute pretty much, that is really amazing. And, of course, the animal-based diets... uh, We're cutting down a tropical rainforest for pasture land and grazing land and uh, to grow feed crops for the animals. And, uh, you know, that is so important and all the waste from the animals and so many negative environmental effects so that uh, the world is threatened. So that's why I often argue that a shift to vegetarianism and veganism, even better, is not only an important individual choice, it's really a societal imperative. You know, if if we want a decent world for children, grandchildren, future generations. So I, as I say, I agree more than 100% with that statement that a shift to vegan diets really is essential today. And it's growing. <laughs> it's happening. Right. It's, yeah. It just depends on where you are, how fast you think it's happening. Sometimes I feel like it all depends on which airport I'm in. I'm in some airports, and it's like, oh, my goodness, half the people must be vegan. And I'm in another airport, and it's like, oh, my gosh, nobody's ever heard of this. So um, I want to ask you, Richard, if someone is a religious Jew, could he get the question, doesn't vegetarianism place greater priority on animal rights than on many of the problems related to human welfare? Well, actually, uh, you know, a shift to vegan diets is not only something very important for animals, it certainly is, like 10 billion farmed animals are so cruelly treated just in the U.S. alone every year and then slaughtered. But also, as I mentioned before, it's, it's essential for the future of humanity in terms of a better environment, certainly better for our health, better for the use of our resources. That's why I sometimes say, you know, we should tell it like it is and say that animal-based diets and agriculture, it's really it's madness and sheer insanity when you realize how wasteful it is while people are starving and wasting 
so much grain. And in a world where thirst is going to become a big, big issue as the glaciers are melting, the aquifers are sinking, so much water going for irrigation, the animals, and it takes up to 10, 14 times as much water on an animal-based diet than a plant-based diet. So it's not only for the animals, but that alone if it was, even that would be significant because Judaism and other religions have powerful teachings, compassion for animals. It says in the Psalms, actually uh, 145 verse 9 in the Psalms, that God's compassion is over all of his works, including the animals. Book of Proverbs, chapter 12, verse 10, indicates that it's a test for righteousness. The righteous individual considers the lives of his or her animals. There's many, many other teachings. It's even part of the Ten Commandments, where not only are human beings to rest on the Sabbath day, but animals as well. So, uh, again, there's a very strong case there, and I hope everybody listening will go to their ministers, priests, imams, and rabbis, all these ministers, and say, why isn't this on our agenda? Uh, how can there be somebody having a diet that is so contrary to religious values and that is so devastating on human health and the future of every person, actually all life on the planet? That is a great assignment. Now, if for somebody listening who is a, a practicing Jew, there are some practical questions. So, for, for example, doesn't a devout Jew have to eat meat to honor the Sabbath and, and for some of the Jewish holidays? Hey, actually, uh, absolutely not today. Uh, some people, it was true thousands of years ago in the time of the temple, part of the sacrifices and all. But as of today, it definitely is not true. And part of the proof of that is that there are cheap rabbis that are strict vegetarians and some vegans. Uh, recently retired Rabbi Jonathan Sachs of the United Kingdom, vegetarian. The former chief rabbi of all of Israel, Shlomo Goren, you know, chief rabbi of all of Israel, and he was a vegetarian. So you definitely do not have to. And there are other indications in the Talmud, which is a commentary on the Bible. It indicates that after the destruction of the temple, Jews can rejoice with wine. For example, no more, no longer need to rejoice with eating animals. Well, I can rejoice in that. <laughs> I think we all can. <laughs> now, also, someone who's who's religious. Couldn't they say, well, aren't vegetarians claiming to be more righteous than God, since God did give permission to eat meat? Okay, well, again, what I try to point out is God is giving us, in effect, a choice. So, uh, you know, many are eating meat. As I indicated, chief rabbis are vegetarian. So we have a choice. And again, keep in mind God's first diet Regimen, Genesis chapter 1, verse 29, was vegetarian. And according to uh, Rav Cook, Rabbi Abraham Isaac Cohen Cook, who was chief rabbi of pre-state Israel, he felt the Messianic period will be vegetarian based on the powerful prophecy of Isaiah that, you know, it's called a peaceable kingdom, you know, in that ideal time, among other things, the wolf will dwell with the lamb, the lion will destroy the ox, and no one shall hurt nor destroy in all of God's holy mountain. So once again, there's a choice, so what I and others are arguing is, shouldn't that choice be made, taking into account the highest of religious values, and taking into account the diet that I think God would want 
us to have? Would God want us to have a diet that's bad for our health, that is so terribly cruel to billions of farmed animals, that is destroying the beautiful planet that God gave and was able to say, told my old, very good, at the very end, chapter 1, verse 31 of the first chapter of Genesis, and uh you know, all the other negatives, would he want us to have a diet that requires so much grain to be fed to animals while millions of people, according to the Bible, created, all created in God's image, are hungry and 20 million dying from hunger every year. So we're not more righteous than God. We're trying to say Judaism, other religions have beautiful teachings. Why don't we put them into practice? Otherwise, wow. What good are they? <laughs> that, that's exciting. You would have convinced me if I wasn't convinced already. <laughs> We're up to time for a break. Do stay with us. We'll be back with more with Dr. Richard Schwartz talking about Judaism and religion in general and how being vegetarian is a heavenly thing to do. We'll be right back. What if you could improve your health one decision at a time? Take that first step and join us each Tuesday at 9 a.m. Central and learn from experts in integrative medicine. Awaken to Your Best Health is committed to supporting your personal health through cutting-edge research, education, and practical tips that you can put into place immediately. Make that decision for yourself by saying yes to health. You know the saying, a good deed is its own reward? Well, moving toward a plant-based diet and vegan lifestyle is one kind and compassionate act that isn't just its own reward. It will also reward you with vibrant health, boundless energy, an easy way to keep your weight where you want it, and according to Yogi's and Unity's co-founder Charles Fillmore, even give a boost to your spiritual life. On Main Street Vegan, the radio program named for the popular book, Victoria Moran will make your move in a vegan direction easy, fun, affordable, and delicious. With enticing topics and entertaining guests every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Central Time, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Thank you for tuning in for Main Street Vegan. Here is your host, Victoria Moran. Welcome back to the Main Street Vegan Show. Today I'm talking with Dr. Richard Schwartz. He's author of Judaism and Vegetarianism. He's author of Judaism and Global Survival, Who Stole My Religion? And he's also an associate producer of the really wonderful, I have seen it and I recommend that you see it, 2007 documentary, A Sacred Duty, Applying Jewish Values to Help Heal the World, and you don't have to be Jewish to get a lot out of this film. How can somebody get a hold of that, Richard? Okay, first of all, if they go to asacredduty.com, sacredduty.com, they can see the whole movie there, and we even have it uh, 
probably most of your listeners won't need it, but with the subscripts in many, many different languages, that movie is so important. We've given away freely 40,000 uh, DVDs. If anybody wants to e- email me, by the way, at president at Jewish, followed by the first three letters of V and V-E-G, one word, jewishveg.com, and uh, I'll be happy to have... Uh, DVD sent out to, to, to any person, and maybe they'll set up a showing. And so we've made it freely available on YouTube. We've given away 40,000 copies, and it was done by multi award winning producer Lionel Friedberg, who luckily for us did it as a labor of love and dedication, not taking even a penny of professional fee. And thank God it's getting a very good reception. We've won a few rewards for that. So hope people will take a look at it. Well, it's very moving and and inspiring and informative. I'm I'm a great, great fan of that one. So another question for somebody who's religious. Some person might ask, if you put your vegan values ahead of religious teachings, aren't you creating a new religion? So, So you're bringing up values that might be contrary to Judaism or whatever religion you follow. Right. Well, we think it's just, just the opposite. We're really applying religious values because we're not coming from left field and saying, uh, forget about your religion, uh, here's something even better. All these six mandates I mentioned before are really fundamental to Judaism and to really every religion. I mean, what religion is there that isn't concerned that people should guard their health, that they should be compassionate? As I said, the book of the, uh, Proverbs is the, the test for righteousness. The righteous individual considers the life of his or her animals. What religion would not be concerned about the environment that unfortunately is so threatened today? You know, it says the earth is the Lord's, the goodness thereof, but we ought to be co-workers with God in protecting that. What religion would want the precious water and land and energy and uh, grain, etc., to be wastefully used when it's becoming more and more important today? And what religion would want, again, the grain to be wasted when there's so much hunger out there? And, of course, every religion is concerned about it should be more peaceful. In the Psalms it says, seek peace and pursue it. And um, by the way, that is the one value that may need a little more explanation. Everybody can see the health connection, the animals connection, probably the environmental connection. But in terms of peace, maybe not. So I just want to point out that the Jewish sages saw that the Hebrew words for bread, which is lechem, and war, which is melchamah, they come from the same root, and they deduce from that when there's a shortage of grain and other resources, people are more likely to go to war. And unfortunately, history has shown that with the battles over the wells of water in biblical times and more recently over oil, etc. And this is why, with that connection, I have come up with a bit of a pun in saying that the slogan of the peace movement and the slogan of the vegetarian movement should really be one and the same. All we're saying is give peas a chance. <laughs> I like that. That's that's great. And I love it that that comes from our generation. <laughs> and sometimes Here's I think we, we need these kind of... Um, 
dual analogies. We have this lovely cardiologist, Dr. Ostfeld, who teaches for the academy. And whenever he's trying to make a point about some of these substances that are bad for, for the arteries, he says, now you can see this depending on your generation, either as Darth Vader or Lord Voldemort. <laughs> <laughs> trying to get everybody. <laughs> but we all like oldies, and we c- we can hear, give peas a chance. Now that's going to be in my head for the rest of the day. So, Dr. Schwartz, if the case for vegetarianism is so strong, then why isn't there more support for it within the Jewish community? Well, this is something I've been working on for 35 years. Unfortunately, uh, you may have heard... Uh, this expression that says denial is not just a river in Egypt. <laughs> denial is not just a river in Egypt. You know, people don't want to know they're in denial. It, it's a matter of habit. My parents served this meat, so I'm going to serve it. Some of it's tradition. Some is a lack of knowledge. And uh, it's, just, it's a shame. This is something I'm really trying to push more and more. That's why, as you mentioned in, in the introduction, I'm trying to reinstate an ancient holiday. There was a, Judaism has four New Years, and one of them was a New Year for animals. Unfortunately, initially, it was for tithing in terms of the sacrifices that we mentioned before. So we're trying to restore that ancient Jewish holiday for animals, Jewish New Year for animals, to increase awareness of the powerful teaching, some of which I mentioned, like the Psalms indicates God's compassion over all of his preachers, and all of his works, and will, and also to have what we call a tikkun, or repair or healing for the horrible, horrible ways that animals are raised today. So there's something wrong, and I'm just determined to go out there even more. As I said, we'd love to have a respectful dialogue debate on should Jews be vegetarians, and the uh, same can be, as I say, in every religion. But uh, there's denial, and People in the habit of eating meat, and of course today, as you well know, there are so many great substitutes. It's not a matter of, you know, I want, I hate to hurt animals, so I'll sacrifice, so I won't have meat. I'll, you know, have just any other food. But as you know, there's so many delicious vegan recipes nowadays. More and more vegan recipes. And as you said before, in some ways, things are moving in the right direction, but unfortunately, far, far too slowly. So, Richard, I know that there are Reform Jews and Conservative Jews and Orthodox Jews, and I guess within Orthodoxy, there's a whole a contingent of that from somewhat Orthodox to what are called ultra-Orthodox. So within right. those various groups... Do you find that it's more from the liberal end or the conservative orthodox end that you're getting more support for vegetarianism? Right. Well, initially, many of our leaders really were orthodox, but we're now finding it's more from the liberal to some extent. There's also Reconstructionist Jews that are sort of close to conservative and all, and there's a very high percent of rabbis in the Reconstructionist movement who are vegetarians. So it's sort of somewhat across the board and uh, never really did a study on it, but some uh, more liberal Jews, as he does mention, and to me it's like a tragedy in that wonderful book called Veganomics by Nick Cooney, that uh, the main reasons people become vegetarians, number one, health, second, animals, 
third, the environment for very, very few, like 1%, become vegetarians or vegans because of religious reasons. And this, to me, uh, indicates what I call the tragedy of religion, which is a failure of many, many religious people not to apply the beautiful teachings in every religion to the issues of today. So I'm determined somehow to, to get that message out that to really be religious should be, you know, compassion should be uh, like a bottom line. And as you saw that 20 or more years ago with that wonderful first book of yours, I think, Compassion, the Ultimate Ethic. And uh, it even says in Judaism, a test of a religious person is compassion. And God shows compassion to people who, who show compassion to others. Well, that makes sense. Well, the reason I, I wanted to ask that question is that I just w- observing life. When when I look at Christians, I see that most of the vegans that I know who practice Christianity are practicing a more liberal form of that. And yet there are some very fundamentalist, very sort of orthodox Christians who also espoused veganism. So I thought it was probably going to be the same way within Judaism. That's fascinating. So how's your book and how's your work been received by the Jewish community? Okay, well, thank God. Nobody's been able to uh, counteract and negate my essential, essential arguments that uh, six very fundamental mandates point to vegetarianism as the ideal diet and that you should be vegetarians. So as I said, there's a choice out there, but, you know, it's like a choice between being healthy or unhealthy, being compassionate or uncompassionate, protecting the environment or destroying it. So there's a choice, but it seems to me that any thoughtful person who's not in denial that really wants to find out would uh, move toward vegetarianism. But, well, then what uh, if they listen to you? <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully it, it will make it different. We have the arguments. I always say we have truth, justice, morality, all the virtues really on our side. Unfortunately, as you know, the power of the other side to um, get their messages out, you know, those milk mustaches, and, you know, if you really want to be a he-man, etc., you got to eat meat, and and milk builds bones. There's so many misconceptions out there that we have to break through. That's why uh, it's so great to have your wonderful program on uh, every week and uh, hearing the guests you have lined up for the next few weeks. And uh, I see every one of them has a chance to get the message out. And hopefully, hopefully it'll finally break through to, to people that this is the way to go and, and the world needs it uh, to help shift our very imperiled planet onto a sustainable path. Yeah, well, that's why this is such a pleasure, because we're all basically saying the same thing. Eat plants, or at least mostly plants, and that way you save animals and you save the planet, and your arteries will do a little dance of happiness. (laughs) And yet everybody comes from a different place and says it in a different way, which makes it so fascinating. So I do want to ask you in our last few minutes here about your latest book, Who Stole My Religion. I love your title because I read a book from the Christian point of view a few years ago by an um, Episcopalian clergyman, and he called his Stealing Jesus. So it seems like there is an epidemic of people stealing Mm -hmm. religions. What's yours about? (laughs) Yeah, well, I hope uh, that the message will grow. And mine basically is it's meant to be a wake-up call, 
And it's saying, as I've been sort of indicating before, that Judaism and other religions have so many beautiful teachings that needed as never, never before, perhaps. And, uh, and yet, you know, I belong to an Orthodox Jewish community here on Staten Island, wonderful people, very charitable, very much into the issues. But unfortunately, very conservative, very uh, in denial about climate change, and also, uh, as I said before, what is the good of having all these beautiful teachings if they're not putting, put into practice? So I argue in Chapter 2 of the book that Judaism and it's true of other religions as well, it's really a radical religion. When you look at the powerful teachings on seek peace and pursue peace, justice, justice, shalt that be pursue, 36 times be kind to the stranger for you are strangers in the land of Egypt, and be compassionate and all that. Uh, say, let's put these into practice because if not, I hate to think what future generations are going to be uh, like. And I just want to indicate, by the way, if anybody wants further information, they should feel free to contact me at that email address I mentioned, president at jewishbeds.com. And I have, as you said, a 200 articles at jewishbeds.com slash Schwartz, S-C-H-W-A-R-T-Z. And I've made my two Judaica books available there. And Who Stole My Religion? can be found and freely downloaded and read at whostolemyreligion.com. So I hope that uh, people will take advantage of the free books that I'm offering. Well, I know I will. I, I think it's going to be fascinating. I've loved your earlier books, and, and I'm eager to read this one. So you... You use some very colorful language uh, talking about veganism and the importance of this. You say that animal-based diets represent madness and sheer insanity. So mm-hmm. what do we do about this madness and sheer insanity? <laughs> okay. Well, first of all, of course, we need some rationality. But um, as a reverend, Robert McAfee Brown pointed out, uh, about the arms race, which that's where I got the expression. Uh, he called the arms race years ago. He said, made us in sheer insanity because we could destroy the Soviet Union years ago with 30, 40, uh, uh, hundreds of nuclear weapons. They had the same idea. So he said, we need really the moral passion, the moral madness of the biblical prophets. We have to go out and challenge religious leaders very respectfully and say, here it is, you know, every day you're preaching the gospel, you're preaching the Torah, wonderful teachings. How about getting vegetarianism onto the agenda? How about going to doctors and maybe at conventions and saying, actually, medical practice today is really medical malpractice if it doesn't tell people about what Dr. Furman is going to be saying a few weeks now in your program, and Dr. McDougall and Dr. Clapper, so many have pointed out experts on medicine, Dr. Greger, for example. And uh, if you go to politicians and say, how can you not pass laws that will reduce greenhouse gas emissions when climate scientists are telling us we could be on the threshold, we could be close to a tipping point where climate change spirals out of control with very negative effects. We've seen some of them already, of course, with the heat waves. You know, the drought in California is going to raise the price of produce quite a bit. And, uh, uh, no, we've had wildfires. They're very concerned they're going to be increasing because of the drought in California and western states. So yeah, we have- and 
I'm so sorry to cut you off, Dr. Schwartz. We have to leave here in just a few seconds, but let's close this off on a positive note. Can you tell us that beautiful Isaiah prophecy once again? Okay, well, that's the peaceable kingdom. He said, in that ideal time, the wolf will dwell with the lamb, the lion will restore with the ox. No one shall hurt nor destroy in all God's holy mountain. Amen to that. (laughs) Absolutely. Thanks so much for being on the show. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks to our wonderful engineer, Jeff, and Unity Online Radio. Everybody out there, God bless you, and eat those veggies. Thank you for listening to Main Street Vegan. Join us every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Central Time as Victoria Moran entertains, educates, and inspires you on your vegan journey. This program is sponsored by Main Street Vegan. To learn more about Victoria or to explore training with Main Street Vegan Academy as a vegan lifestyle coach, go to www.mainstreetvegan.net. That's www.mainstreetvegan.net. Oprah Winfrey says that Eric Butterworth's book, Discover the Power Within You, changed her perspective on life and religion. Maya Angelou quotes Emily Cady's Lessons in Truth as she recalls her own spiritual awakening. What do these books have in common? They share Unity's classic teachings. Join Reverend Laura Beth Gilbreth, Minister of Unity Transformation, Thursdays at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, for Hooked on Classics, exploring Unity's classic teachings. Follow along and contribute your thoughts, questions, and ideas as we examine these foundational teachings through the works of Unity authors past and present. Hooked on Classics, exploring Unity's classic teachings, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Inspiration only takes a moment. Take a moment now to reflect on these words from Reverend Joan Gattuso. According to an ancient Hindu teaching, if you can only speak the truth and tell no lies, either minuscule or outrageous, for 12 consecutive years, you can attain enlightenment. A noble being will always tell the truth. Do you? Begin now with the first step of simply noticing if you do tell the truth immediately or if your first instinct is to alter the facts a bit. Resolve to be honest with yourself and others starting today. And after 4,383 days, you just may become enlightened. This meditative moment is brought to you by Unity. If I were brave, I'd walk the races Where fools and dreamers dare to tread And never lose faith How is life working for you? Would it be okay with you if life got easier, simpler, yet more meaningful and vibrant? Join certified life coach Carla McClellan Tuesday afternoons for Vibrant Living. Each week, Coach Carla and her guests will share strategies and solutions designed to make your life more vibrant. Is there something in your life you'd like help with? 
a dream you'd like to achieve, a relationship you'd like to improve. Call into the show toll-free for Coaching with Carla. That's Vibrant Living, Life Coaching with Carla, Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Central on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. What if we're all meant to do what we secretly dream? Hey, it's Radley Valentine. Join me for a brand new way of connecting with your angels on my new podcast, The Angel Tarot Show. Each week, you'll meet your angelic guides and guardians and find new ways to unlock unconditional love, tune into your intuitive abilities, and create the joy-filled life that, well, you've always wanted. Plus, you'll get a useful and timely energetic weather report, bringing you guidance for the coming week. Tap into the healing, hope, and guidance that's all around you on the Angel Tarot Show, exclusively on mindbodyspirit.fm.